Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Horn Call podcast. My name is James Bolden. I'm the publications editor for the International Horn Society, and it is my distinct honor to be the host of the Horn Call podcast. I am returning. uh, You're probably hearing this, oh, about September or so of 2023. So I've been back from the International Horn Symposium in Montreal now for a couple of months. It was a really, really terrific symposium, and I've, I've been to several, not as many as some. Some have been to, you know, almost all of them, if not all of them. But uh, I've been to uh, more than a few. Let's leave it at that. And this one was a really, really good one. They're all good. Um, this one was very special. It was uh, the, the first one out of the country since uh, COVID, since 2020. Um, of course, IHS 54 in Kingsville, Texas was the first in-person one since the pandemic. And then uh, Montreal was the, the first one outside the United States. It was a really, really great experience. Uh, You can read all about it in the October issue of The Horn Call, or you can follow the IHS on social media for lots of fun pictures and updates from that symposium. If you haven't gotten the news already, the next IHS symposium, IHS 56, will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, hosted by John McGuire, Colorado State University Horn Studio. And... uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I don't have a lot of details yet, but uh, it's going to give us something to look forward to all through this year. For those of you who have started your university or orchestra uh, seasons or terms, I hope that that's all gone well for you. If you're still on break or have begun your break, I hope that that's going well also. And uh, I don't want to take a lot of time on this intro. I've probably taken more than I normally do. I'm pretty quick with the intros these days. I I just like to get straight to the interviews because that's what it's all about. And my guest today, Shanice Strickland, is a really, really terrific horn player, musician, composer, multi-instrumentalist, as her bio says. She, uh, She talks about in the interview when she auditioned for her undergraduate degree at uh, Youngstown State. She auditioned on flute, horn, and euphonium and got in on all three instruments. So it's uh, really pretty incredible. If you're not familiar with Shanice's music, be sure to check out her website or follow her her on social media. She's got a really, really interesting approach to uh, incorporating the horn, not just into classical music, but into all different kinds of music. And that's what we spend quite a bit of time talking about today. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Shanice Strickland. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks again for talking with me today, Shanice. Um, So why don't you give us kind of a a little bit of a a summary or, you know, a a sketch of how you ended up where you are today, what kinds of things you're doing, your journey and path on the horn. Um, I always find that really interesting to to hear from guests. For sure. So um, I started playing French horn when I was 11 years old. I was in middle school. And prior to that, I was actually a flute player. Um, flute was like one of the few instruments I was offered at my school. I went to a really small school in Akron, Ohio. And so, um, after playing flute, you know, flute's one of those things where it's like, it's a hit or miss. Like some people, like when they start playing it, it's like, they just take off with it. And other people, it's like, I've been trying for the last 50 years and I can't get a sound. <laughs> <laughs> so like flute kind of, you know, after a couple weeks came pretty easy to me, but then, um, I had a band director in middle school that was a bassoon player and he was like, well, you know, we don't have any horns in the band. So 
I have one of those essential elements books and I'll just give you that. And it's just like, I'm like, I don't know how to <laughs> hold this thing. I mean, you know how like intense the technique is with horn. Uh -huh. I remember my teacher, Mr. Slocum saying there was no, there's never been a self-taught horn player, you know, that actually got everything right, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, by the time I got out of high school, I was still playing horn and I was pretty, you know, the knowledge was there, but I would say I didn't have any technique. So by like the time I got to Youngstown State, um, I actually got formal lessons. I had like a, my embouchure was like upside down, you know, mm -hmm. like I was like one of those like kids that would just kind of hang the hand outside of the bell, kind of <laughs> just be chilling. And it's just like, you know, so there was so many things that got fine tuned, but you know, yeah, my time at Youngstown, I was still kind of in my exploring phase, you know, like mm -hmm. I, during middle school and high school, I would just like pick up instruments just because they were at my leisure. All the other kids around me didn't really want to do much. So, you know, I took advantage of like kind of like getting to know these instruments, like getting to know the transpositions. And that's kind of actually when I started composing, which, you know, it kind of was like a foreshadowing for the future because I never thought that I would actually like, you know, have composing be another part of my career. You know, I just was kind of doing it for fun then. But um, uh -huh. fast forward to 2020 when the world shut down, mm -hmm. <laughs> I got my first opportunity to commission a project for the Lantana Brass Trio at uh, the University of North Texas, which Stacey Mickens is a horn player. So, you know, uh -huh. connection there because she was teaching at Youngstown and then she went to North Texas. But um. So, yeah, you know, like, I think that I've always had a love and a curiosity for music in different mediums and different voices. Uh -huh. And I never really limited myself to only just one, which, you know, of course, usually, especially in college, they just want you to play one instrument. Funny story, though, when I auditioned at Youngstown, I auditioned on flute, horn, and euphonium. And okay. horn was like my worst instrument. <laughs> it was like the worst one out, you know, because again, it was kind of like jack of all trades, master none kind of thing. So it's like, okay, you can play these instruments, but like how well in horn, you know, my old band director, Steve Gage, he was like, yeah, you were the worst on horn, to be honest. <laughs> and so to see where I am now, it's like, but you kept pushing though, you know, you kept, you kept working hard. So, um, but yeah, you know, I've always just wanted to be, a really good musician first and then a good instrumentalist second. So that's right. just always been my priority and it's opened a bunch of doors for me. So I'm really thankful to be going on the journey that I'm going on right now. Well, that, yeah, that's, that's really cool. And thank you for giving us that kind of thumbnail sketch. I do want to ask a couple follow-up questions. So what was that like? You mentioned like picking up the horn and like, oh my God, what is this thing? It looks like, you know, a, a snail made out of metal, but <laughs> you know, there must've been something about it that kept you going. Like I, I had no idea if I was even playing the right note for like six months, you know, and, and maybe, maybe I should have quit then, but who knows, right? It's like, <laughs> we just keep going. And at some point you're like, I kind of like this. I like the sound it makes or the way it makes me feel or you know whatever what what was it that kind of kept you pushing as you say i think that it was like compositionally wise just the horn lines that would come up in some of the band music and the orchestra music that i got mm -hmm. that was like one of the main things because you know like flute usually you know you have the melody and stuff so i really like that but um some of the just the counter melodies that the horn would have and, you know, again, at the time, like, I didn't really have much technique. So, like, my tone and the color of my tone was, like, 
definitely not up to par. But when I started to listen to more, you know, just traditional horn players, Barry Tuckwell, Dennis Brain, mm-hmm. Herman Bauman, I was just like, oh, my gosh. So, like, <laughs> that's what I'm supposed to sound like. And that's what I can sound like. But that, you know, so just I think that the, I'm just in love with the horn for the color that it produces and just how vocal it could be. Mm-hmm. You know, just the fact that those colors can change based on different techniques, based on the different contexts that you're in. And that's what I do all the time, honestly. When mm-hmm. I'm playing jazz, you know, when I was teaching at the, ben- the Kendall Betts Horn Camp, we were talking about when I'm playing jazz, if technically with my embouchure or anything like that, I'm changing anything. And it's not, I think it's a very, very minute change. Mm. Um, It's a little less structured, you know, because, I mean, but really at the end of the day, it's still all flexibility. It's still your harmonic series warm up. It's still that because I want the ability to be able to, you know, bend notes a little bit, like get quarter tones and stuff like that out. But still the same concept that we use in classical playing too so mm-hmm. yeah i think it was just the the color of the horn and just the different colors that you could produce I, I think about music and colors when i'm composing too so it's just how many different like color palettes i can i can choose and use when i'm creating music whether it be on the spot or compositionally wise that's awesome and yeah i mean i, I... I have attempted jazz type things. I'm not an improviser, but you know, I studied with Doug Hill. And so you couldn't get through that studio without encountering a bit of jazz in some, yeah. in some capacity. But I, I'm in awe of the articulation variety that jazz musicians have. There's just so many ways to approach and leave a note and just so many inflections that, I mean, classical music can be kind of square. I'm sorry. It can be sometimes, but I think there's a, there's a lesson to be learned from all the different shadings of articulation that jazz musicians can put, as you say, it is kind of be, can be very vocal sounding. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, that's the other thing. It's like, I realize more that I have a love for classical music because that's where everything started. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't the kid, to be honest, I wasn't the kid that listened to the Mahler symphonies and the Beethovens, you know. My mom was at home, like, rocking out to Prince, like, cleaning the house, you know, like, and me just, like, getting introduced to rock and roll that way, you know, Led Zeppelin, like, Mm -hmm. ACDC, like, and then on the funk side of things, like, the Parliament and the Funkadelics, you know, Mm -hmm. um, George Clinton, just, like, I mean, like, there's so many musical inspirations that I have but classical music always came across as the thing that was like very structured you know you study it you know you learn the history of it Mm -hmm. and so there was a certain like um perfectionism and elitism that I really respected and I strive for as much as possible Mm -hmm. but then at the same time I just definitely didn't feel like it was me you know, because I had to throw away all the print stuff. I had to throw away all the funk stuff. I couldn't make certain inflections on things when I really was feeling the groove of a Mozart concerto just because mm-hmm. it was not allowed and is really frowned upon. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it was like in grad school when I was just like, I think that I've learned the rules enough so that I'm going to start breaking them now, mm-hmm. you know, and not like to the point where I'm like, you know, I, I feel like I knew everything about classical music, but I was just like, well, what can I do differently to put me in the position where I can do everything that I want to do mm-hmm. so I can honor the instrument of horn and the colors and the technique and all the things that I've learned up until this point, but also 
still honoring the other side of my background, my musical background. And so I'm like, well, nobody's really talking about Warren being in jazz. Mm -hmm. And every time you say it, people are just like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, or they'll bring up like the Miles Davis thing. Like, that's the only context that they could bring it up in. Like, well, mm -hmm. you know, you know, Miles used to play a little horn and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, so so what else is out there? So, you know, I started doing research. I found out about Julius Watkins and mm -hmm. that was a real game changer for me. Just like like I said, my inspirations up until this point with Horn were Herman Bauman and Barry Tuckwell. Right. And to be honest, you know, like to see a black man playing the horn was like, whoa. And mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't just playing jazz. He sounded like a French horn player. Mm -hmm. I think that was the thing, talking about colors in jazz, you know, trumpet and trombone, that kind of thing. They have very distinct colors. But a lot of times, if you're not careful, you can, like, sound like a trombone. People would just think that you sound like a trombone uh, just uh -huh. because of how dark the color can be. Right. Um, but Julius had a French horn sound. He mm -hmm. sounded like Herman Bout, but he was just swinging super hard. And I was just <laughs> like... So it was so satisfying for me to, like, get both of those worlds just, like, you know, it's, it's weird when you feel like something's always missing. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, I want to, I don't want to have that feeling. So it was great to know that there are people before me that existed that were doing the same thing. Right. And I talked to some of, you know, his, my mentors who were his students at the time. And they were like, you know, yeah. Um, I'm like, so what jazz stuff did Julius teach you? You know, like, how did he teach you? To be a great jazz horn player. And it's like, well, he didn't. Like, we studied below the etudes, mm -hmm. you know, Maxime Alphonse. And I was like, you know, I was thinking, like, this guy was like a straight up jazzer, like nothing else. But there was no talk of Charlie Parker, John Coltrane. It was just like, do you know how to play the French horn mm -hmm. well? Yep. And then we'll talk about chord progressions and swinging, but we're going to focus on just knowing the instrument in its entirety. So just, just learning about all these now heroes that I have, just like a lot of respect and the disinfluence of, you know, the the path that I wanted to take and where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. Just having the solid fundamentals and technique. I mean, nobody practices fundamentals and technique more than jazz musicians. They are just like woodshedding all day. <laughs> Literally just scales, just scales after scales after scales and flexibility, you mm -hmm. know? Yep. Yeah, it's, that's impressive. So where did the euphonium come in, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> um, Again, I mean, like, I just, I was, like, just picking up instruments at random at uh -huh. one point. And I went to a really small school in Akron, and so mm -hmm. our band was really limited, you know? Like, so there would literally be pieces where, again, you know, my band director would know, okay, here's a big horn line coming up. So I would have, like, my horn, my flute, and the euphonium. Like, I would have one of my friends, like, carry the euphonium. And I would just put the <laughs> flute in the bell of the horn, which is really bad. But, um, you know, it was my way of carrying everything. And right. so, yeah, I would just be switching back and forth. And I love the, the color and the tone of the euphonium, too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, like, it was available. Nobody else wanted to play it. So I just looked at it as a challenge. I just, I just like challenging myself. It's like, oh, you know, I can play all these instruments. You know, but as I got mm -hmm. older, I kind of like started to, you know, push that number down to only the two. And honestly, to be right now, I don't play flute as much as I used to just because, mm -hmm. you know, the horn is very demanding, very yes. jealous <laughs> instrument. Like you <laughs> can sure be skimping out on horn like it has to be your main thing. The only thing 
practicing every day. So yeah, so I I have knowledge of those instruments now. I tell people, but I definitely don't play them as much as I used to, just because you know the horn's my baby now. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm jealous of like my sister's an oboe player, so I can rag on double reed players. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they gotta keep yeah they gotta keep their reeds up, and they have to have some amount of strength in their embouchure, but they can go like a long time without having yes. to do like maintenance. I mean, horn players, right? At least me personally, if I miss more than a couple of days, it's like oh, I've just dug a hole for myself. I gotta dig myself out of. <laughs> same, same. The vibration in my lips after two days will just not be the same mm-hmm. and it's like you know you you can tell like when i was um i was subbing on broadway for bad cinderella and you know i mean i was hitting the shed hard like mm-hmm. memorizing the book and everything and so you know after i stopped subbing after the show ended you know i kind of like you know it was a little lax it's a summer you know do mm-hmm. but when i went back to the horn like literally after three days i just was like whoa what happened because like i was so you know everything was so sad it was so so yeah really demanding instrument man you can't you can't step away for it from a bit mm-hmm. for any kind of amount of time <laughs> really yeah, that, that's so true um so when you went to youngstown what what was your major when you when you started there i started as a flute major in performance flute major flute performance yep. okay yeah because you know they were again they'd be like you got to pick one of these like it, it like and i actually got in on all three so it was uh-huh. really just a decision of like which one to choose and i went with flute but then interesting enough my grandmother had passed like it's like my maybe a month or two after i started undergrad hmm. and so you know some instruments are really connected to certain people and you know i would play for her all the time so at the time i was just like I can't, I really can't, like, I'm not going to enjoy it. This is going to be horrible for me. So I went to Bill Slocum and I was like, Hey, you know, I know that I kind of, I've been a flute major for a couple weeks now, but I really want to come study with you. Can I, is there a way that we can like, you know, get the scholarship situation together? And he was just Mm -hmm. like, I was hoping anybody that knows Mr. Slocum, he like got really, he's like, I was hoping that you would come back. Shanice. You know, just like, this is a really <laughs> intense guy, you know? And so I was just like, yeah, I mean, I think I would love to be in your studio, you know? So no, he embraced me with open arms and yeah. Yeah. He's just one of those people. that's just like, I don't know, just iconic and, his teaching was so abstract, you know, mm-hmm. but then it was funny when I, when he retired and Stacy came in, it was like, you know, okay, now I have like a teacher that's teaching me like actual technical things. Like Mr. Slocum would say, play to the mountains. Imagine you're on Mount Everest and you're trying <laughs> to blow the entire, and it's like, you know, that works, but only to a certain extent. Like, so Stacy came in, she's like, you know, you should be breathing from your diaphragm and like, you know, your embouchure should not be like sideways or something crazy. I'm like, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, Mr. Slocum like created a great foundation for me, but then Stacy came in and really like refined the things that I needed to actually elevate and actually gave me the mouthpiece that I'm still playing on today. Oh yeah. What is it? Oh, Alaska. Yeah. 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 And it's just, you know, because like I struggled a lot with my higher range low range has always been like a natural thing that came to me, but just, you know, I just couldn't honestly get like above a G above the staff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like coming up on like my junior to senior year. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So, but that mouthpiece was a game changer. Mouthpiece was a game changer. So shout That's out to Stacy Wiggins. Yeah. Shout out to Stacy. <laughs> 
I hope she listens to this. I'm sure she will. <laughs> hey, Stacy. Um, no, that that is so true. And it, you know, thinking back on like, you know, different teachers and different people come into your life, and it's like, it's all grist for the mill. It's all fuel, you know. And so many teachers Absolutely. have so many different ways of approaching the instrument that I, I'm sure you wouldn't be where you are today if it weren't for both those approaches, right? The more exactly the 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 you know maybe holistic like musical picture like you said with with Bill Slocum and then the more sort of like you need some nuts and bolts and you know meat and potatoes yep. kind of stuff on the horn yeah i yeah i needed a, the exact same thing i needed both those things to be mm -hmm. you know to to make any kind of progress so that's that's good to hear <laughs> really though i mean like it's like you said like slocum I feel like I need, because uh, just like my musical sense is like usually something that comes out the most. And so like he really fueled that of like, think of things in this way, in a meditative way and that kind of thing. And then Stacy was like, okay, but nuts and bolts. And then I got an artist diploma at Montclair in New Jersey. That's where I am right now. Okay. And Kyle Hoyt, he's playing on Broadway right mm, now. Okay. And, you know, when I studied with him, I was like, okay, so... Now, like, you know, I'm a grown up and, you know, I really want to do this for a living. So uh -huh. anything that there's an issue with, you know, anything that like, I don't, I don't want any sugar, I, you know, like I want you to really tell it how it is because I'm thinking about going into Broadway and like being in New York and freelancing. And so like, I want to be ready. And so Kyle with no problems, like, okay, you know, so it's like, I'd play an excerpt miss a note do it over you know like and, but mm -hmm. I, I wanted that i was mentally and emotionally prepared for that kind of strict mm -hmm. straightforward teaching and it, it helped immensely mm -hmm. yeah and you have to kind of be in the right place for that like you said you have to yes. be ready like okay bring it on hit me with it tell me whatever i need to hear you know <laughs> yeah everything every single thing and i mean like you know kyle's a nice guy but it's just like you know, there are times where I'm like, oh, okay. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like, yeah, that's just not, that's not working. You got to do that over. And I'm just like, but I, again, it was in a healthy way and the sure. delivery of the communication was what it needed to be. So I never felt belittled or anything, you know, cause it's hard being a teacher. Like you want your yeah. students to be better. And, you know, some people come like the old school way of teaching, which is like, can be really harsh and like mm -hmm. toxic it was never like that with Kyle. Like he was just like firm and just, you know, you mm -hmm. need that firmness at some point in your career. You can't just be having like, in my opinion, you can't just have like teachers that are always just like, you sound great. You sound great. It's like, cause when I go to this audition, like they're not going to think that I sound great because right. they don't have any reason to, except for the playing that I'm presenting, you know? Yeah. So no, all the teachers that I had just like, they were at the, I was at the right place at the right time for all mm -hmm. of them. Yeah, that's 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 so true. So many times. What was that like getting your foot in the door playing on Broadway? Because I, you know, that's still a, a, a great career for a lot of people, for people that want that kind of life and, you know, the busyness and hecticness of that kind of work. How how did you go about getting there? You mentioned you studied with, you know, Kyle Hoyt, who was already doing some of that kind of work. So that's kind of a big step in the right direction. But like, what were the specifics of how did you get your first gig and how did you, you know, was there anything you did specifically on that first gig to, you know, just make sure you keep getting calls and then, you know, get in the regular rotation? 
So, you know, a lot of people say that it's like, you know, 50% of like who you know and then 50 of what you know. I would say it's about like 75% of who you know mm. and then 25% of what you know. Because, I mean, to be honest, like my first gig in the city was through another one of my mentors, Vincent Chancy. He's mm-hmm. like the prodigy of Julius Watkins. Like, I mean... Mm-hmm. The craziest jazz hornets I've ever heard in my life. Like, mm-hmm. just just insane, you know? And a jewel of a person, too. So, he was on a, a tour in Japan, and he was just like, hey, you know? It's so funny. Just like, again, I'm from Ohio, right? So, like, mm-hmm. moving to New Jersey and New York, um, cost of living, you know, completely different. And just the way that musicians are treated and just the compensation that you get for these gigs are completely different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my first gig, again, coming from Ohio, I'm used to like $75 gigs, right. $100 gigs, like really low. And so Vincent Chancy was called me. He was like, hey, um, I'm not sure if you're free. You know, it's this gig. It's in Manhattan. It's at, it was at the new school. It's like, you know, one rehearsal of the show. It's only going to be about $1,200. So, you know, I'm not sure. And I was just like, oh, I'm there. Yeah. $1,200. And it was like, yeah, you know, they're, they're a little low with the budget right now. So, and I was like, um, that's going to be fine for me. So you could tell them yes. But, you know, it was just casually, you're just like, I don't know if you're, you're going to be able to. I know you're in school, so this might be. I was like, that's like a chunk of my rent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, but yeah, no. So, me just knowing him and me, like, before I moved to New Jersey, I was taking lessons with him. I came up here to, you know, do the apartment scouting and all that other good mm-hmm. stuff and took some lessons with him. And so I think that's like one of the main things is just like, you know, playing for people. I've uh, spoke with Rachel Draymond of Genghis Barbie. I'm a good Mm -hmm. friend of hers. And we've talked, she's like, you know, horn players don't play for me anymore. They don't ask to come play for me so that I know that they exist and that I can get them into these circles and, Hmm. you know, put them on sub lists and stuff like that. So it's just like, I don't know why, but I think that, you know, I definitely would encourage people if you're in the city or just anywhere, mm-hmm. and you know that there are horn players that are in an orchestra or whatever, that's just like they're in the position that you want to be in, just offer to play for them. Ask right. them, you know, if they're busy or, you know, like just like try to make that direct line of communication so that they just know you exist. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, they can put you on that sub list or they could talk to some people and pull some strings. Like, you you just never know. So, yeah, it's just like you got to put yourself out there because that's, especially in New York, it's going to be who you know. Yeah. It's going to be who you know and you being able to show up and do what you're supposed to do. You know, right. that's literally from that first gig to the all the gigs that I had. Like, I played on the Heisman Trophy Ceremony uh, for ESPN a few times. Mm-hmm. That was kind of, it was a, a, spe- a specific thing. And this is why I also encourage horn players to like think outside of the box of what they do. Because for that gig, they wanted a French horn player who could improvise, but could also read music too. Okay. And have the ability to take solos when needed. Oh, interesting. So, you know, like, I feel like, uh, you know, the colleagues that I have, they'll be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of horn players that'll be like, well, what kind of solos? Is this jazz or is this it? Like they right. won't be able to they won't be as comfortable. And so literally I got that opportunity because specifically the things that I do. 
mm-hmm. you know, and I was able to meet with the producer and, you know, so it's just like, I got to be on TV for the That's first awesome. time ever. But, and, and it was just like fun. It was a good time. So, so yeah, just like talking to the people that are already in those spaces. And then if you do have something that's very special, that will get you into doors too. Because again, like, you know, I I look at me being an artist as like almost like, like an R and B or like a pop artist will look at it. So it's just like getting into those realms mm-hmm. and you know, the industry wants somebody different. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear. And even like as a listener, you don't want to hear somebody doing the same thing, the same thing over and over, you know? So I was just like, well, I don't know any horn players that are playing R&B or hip hop, mm-hmm. barely any jazz. But even the students I have now, they're really into metal. They're into rock music. They're in the uh-huh. country. There's no French horn players that have main gigs with country stars. Why right. not? Right. You can, but you just have to put it out there, make it your thing, get really good at it, and then be at the right place at the right time. And then boom. That's great advice. Yeah. And it's so important. I mean, especially for students coming up. I mean, in some ways, the music business is like the most difficult it's been to get into because of the level of players. There's so many great players and and so much competition. But then in other ways, there's more opportunity, like you said, just by thinking outside the box and the only, you know, there's not one way to be successful as a horn player. There's not one way to put food on the table and pay for rent and all of that stuff, you know. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's encouraging and really inspiring to hear that. Absolutely. I mean, listen, you know, like I, I'm a definitely a realist, and you know, sometimes the reality can be a little negative, but I try to always like kind of turn the story into a positive with my students. But I tell them it's like you know. If you think you're going to be the next first horn in the New York Philharmonic by the time you got out of college, you know, some of these people have held those chairs. Like mm-hmm. my teacher, Zach Smith, when I went to um, Duquesne, I was studying with him. Mm-hmm. He got that job when he was 23. Mm-hmm. And at the time when we had the conversation, when I asked him, you know, like, so how long? He was 67. Yep. So it's like, you know, unless that person retires unless they very unfortunately god forbid they pass away mm-hmm. or you know something happens with the orchestra that's the only way that you're going to get that job right <laughs> and so it's like you know dare to dream like I, of course i want you to like reach for the if that's if that is your dream your goal and you want to bust your butt to do that absolutely i will encourage that and when we're and you know i work on musicality with people and trying to bring new life to things that might get get the you know the attention put on them if they are Mm -hmm. an audition so you know i bank on that but i'm just like you know you might also want to think about some other options and it's it's only going to make you a better musician Mm -hmm. you know people tell me that they love you know bands like nirvana or led zeppelin i'm just like so what can you take what's a musical element that you could take from that music to apply to your same song and your yeah. Mozart concertos. Yeah. But it's just, I think, you know, even just with the instrument, there can be this like huge separation of me playing this hunk of metal opposed yep. to when I'm singing in the shower and it's super <laughs> musical and, you know, like I'm free and I'm just like, why can't you join those worlds? And it's just like, oh, left brain, right brain. I can't, yep. you know? So it's just like, I try to provide vehicles and spaces where, we're doing both of those things at the same time. 
Mm -hmm. Like I've given lectures. Um, I did one when I was at the, uh, some of the school in Chicago, I can't think of the name of it right now, but Coltrane or not Mm -hmm. Coltrane, um, Coldplay, Mm -hmm. the song fix you. It's like a, you know, big pop song, like probably like in the early two thousands. And so it's in the same key as Mozart, as the Mozart third horn concerto. So I had them play that over that you know one of the students got really emotional because the lyrics to the song that's the thing classical music is great even operas are great but sometimes the lyrics are what is the what's most heart-wrenching mm-hmm. and so to be combining both of these worlds that you and you didn't expect you can get like an emotional response out of it it's like this song means so much to me it's gotten me into different you know places in my life and now i'm bringing this classical music thing over, which usually stresses me out, but now I don't even feel stressed out about it anymore. Mm-hmm. So it just, it can be really rewarding if you just take the time to be a little bit creative of what, how you're practicing and what your method is and just, just get away from the nervousness. And again, like the perfectionism and all that other stuff and just play the horn. And, you know, I found that even some of my older students have found a new love for playing the horn just from doing that. That's such a good idea. I'm going to steal that if you don't mind. Not Do necessarily it, that please. same piece, but finding pop songs. I mean, and and uh, I don't know if you know uh, Lynette Compton at um, Oklahoma yeah, State. Yeah, the course. drop the beat, the drop the beat warm up is yeah. incorporates that kind of stuff. So yep. it's um no, it's it's such a cool idea. I've I've got to get I've got to get on that train. <laughs> yeah, for sure, it's so rewarding. I'm telling you, it's rewarding. Yeah, it's really great. And so you've got such a varied career. You're doing so many different cool things. Tell me about how you mentioned, um, you know, getting your first commission to write something for Brass Trio. How how did you, how'd that come about? And I I can't remember if we were recording or not when we were talking about this. It was during COVID, right? And you got the commission Mm -hmm. from Lantana Trio. And then talk a little bit about your composing work and how that, you know, weaves in and out of your musical life and your career. For sure. So, you know, during the pandemic, everything shut down. Um, I just honestly moved to Jersey in 2019. So I was still getting my foot in the door, you know, having gigs here and there. But Mm -hmm. I was at a point where it's just like, okay, you know, some people are still working. You know, it was just a thing about money and just like, you know, keeping the roof over my head and things like that. And so um, a few people reached out. One of them was like Bernard Scully of the Canadian Mm -hmm. Brass. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a master class with him actually for the Kendo Betts horn mm-hmm. camp, which is just so funny. Like these, whenever I have these kind of interviews and I'm thinking about, you know, where I started to where I am now, it's like the foreshadowing that happened because I never knew that I was going to be one of the faculty members at the horn camp. Mm-hmm. But during 2020, you know, Bernard invited me for a master class. Just something in hindsight that I'm thinking about as I'm talking. Um, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I was doing master classes because, you know, again, people were just looking for opportunities to like stay connected to the horn mm-hmm. because, you know, they couldn't go in their pit orchestras or their orchestras or they didn't have any gigs. It was just like they were just stuck to what was in front of them on the screen, yep. on your computer, watching Netflix, something like that. So <laughs> I took advantage of that and, you know, gave a few master classes, talked about what people could do at home and, you know, while they didn't have the opportunity to perform outside. And then, you know, so in the midst of that, um, Stacy had kind of saw what I was doing. Like, you know, I was doing these R and B covers with friends just mm-hmm. all over the country. Um, and she was just like, you know, 
I want you to write something for our brass trio, like in the style that you like play things, you mm-hmm. know? And so, I mean, Lantana brass trios, like they're a big deal, right? Like, like one of mm-hmm. the best brass schools in the country. And so I was thinking of all these, like, I'm like, you know, this is my first time actually composing something as a commission and just really honestly composing my own original work Mm. in high school. I was doing like arrangements of like hip hop tunes for our marching band and stuff like that, but I never actually composed an original work. So Mm. I'm like, this has to be, you know, I'm like doing a bunch of score studies and I'm like, Oh, you know, this has to be really intricate. You know, it has to be challenging. It has to be. And then a friend of mine was just like, why don't you just play something that you would enjoy though? Didn't she say, (laughs) wasn't that what she asked for? And so, you know, I kind of like just destroyed everything that I did initially, (laughs) (laughs) just erased all of it, just started over. And then I came up with um, the the piece that I wrote for them and it's called a BOP and it stands the acronym for Black um, Beats of Power. Okay. And so, you know, I, and I just thought about it and I was thinking about, again, like my background and all these influences of black music and just a bunch of other genres that I really loved. And so I put it all together and I started to get these ideas of, I want to bring these genres into classical context, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've kind of been back and forth with myself with that. I'm kind of like, well, you know, a part of like really learning these genres and appreciating them is listening to them in the context that they were created. Mm. So, you know, listening to the R&B artists, listening to the actual track. So I kind of was just like, oh, no, like, am I a sellout for like, you know, <laughs> writing these genres and making it accessible to classical musicians instead of them doing their homework? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I realized I kind of like, you know, did away with that negative thought because it's not that I'm being a sellout. It's me introducing them to something new and mm-hmm. the people that really appreciate it you know, will ask me, so, like, what was your inspiration with this? And I was like, oh, you know, there's this tune by Charlie Parker, and, you know, this is how I came up with the melody. It kind of, like, flipped some stuff, you know, like, and so when they're invested, they act, and they're just like, the piece makes so much more sense now Mm -hmm. that I know what the reference is, you know? So, yeah, so that's how I've been, what I've been doing, like, composing-wise, just, like, taking different inspirations, you know, um, (laughs) I always joke around like I, you know, music theory was always something that I loved when mm-hmm. I was in undergrad and just in school. And so I was doing this master class once and somebody asked me about, you know, my process with composition. And I remember having a conversation with them before the master class and they said that they hated music theory. And I'm just like, well, you know, <laughs> that thing you hate. Yeah, I use that often. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm just like, oh, really? That's a bummer. Uh, I don't want to have to. And I'm just like, well, that's the thing. Like, I go for certain feelings, certain colors. And if I want something clashy, I know that I have to have minor seconds together. So it's just mm-hmm. like, I'm not so like Neapolitan six and, you know, deceptive cadence. Like, <laughs> it's not so much that, but I do use, I just use all the resources that I have, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so, yeah, like, I mean, I never expected things to go in the direction that they're going with composing. Like after I got that opportunity, um, a few other opportunities came up and then it was just like, you know, again, who, you know, like me composing for this great brass trio, 
like the the word just kind of got out in the horn world it's like oh you know this person you know like i compose things so i started composing horn sonatas and you know brass quintets um woodwind quintets right now i'm working on something that is really funky like or like orchestration wise it's horn oboe uh double bass and cello so i've also been doing like these very interesting like non-traditional like ensemble things Mm -hmm. and again it's just like people want new music but they also want it to be relatable and i'm just like i'm your person for that you know it's just Mm -hmm. like it's something that i just enjoy doing so but yeah all of it was just because of that first initial project that stacy allowed me to have so i'm really thankful for that opportunity and now I've worked with the Seattle Symphony, which was crazy. Oh, yeah. Those horn players. Uh, <laughs> you ever like just like heard somebody that you were inspired by, but also you were just like, what am I doing? Like, yeah. Maybe I should not play anymore. <laughs> just because what? If I can't be this good, I don't want to do it anymore. Like, but of course, you know, just the inspiration was more so on that more mm-hmm. than the other feeling. But yeah amazing being able to just like meet them i mean like these are like i'm getting into like meeting some of my heroes now like me listening to these recordings like and Mm -hmm. all this other stuff and now i'm like actually meeting the players so yeah composing has taken me to places that i honestly never thought that i would be well that's awesome and i i can't remember the name of lantana's album but it, it it is it is available and you can they you know listeners you can go check out shanice's piece and all the other cool stuff that's on the album i'll put the the spotify link or the amazon link in the in the show notes but uh yeah and i i'm working on your piece that's in lift um i'm gonna put that on a recital this fall i i love it it's really cool it grew awesome yeah. i love that thank you thank you for playing it it's it's yeah it's definitely Something that's like dear to my heart too, just because Margaret, um, I can never say her last name right. M- I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thank you. That I'm gonna let you say it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, she's just been such a just a supportive person, and um, you know, she was just like, I want you to write something that young Shanice will want to play. Mm-hmm. You know, like just like you're just starting out that kind of thing. And so just the nostalgia and like, you know, thinking about my journey, you know, all that is in there. So but I'm happy that you're playing it. Thank you. You It's such a pretty piece. The melodies are so nice. It's got that middle section that grooves and it's called when I'm older. So that makes perfect sense. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, because I wanted a little bit of drive and something that's exciting, you know. But then also it's like, again, why do we love the horn? Because of the colors, because of the Mm -hmm. melodic, lyrical you know factors that it has so i just wanted to put a little bit of everything in there mm-hmm. and everybody you got to go check out shanice's youtube videos she's got a lot of good stuff out there it's it's definitely it'll make you think about the horn in a different way you know what it can do and what its possibilities are so um yeah thanks so much for speaking with me today i just want to ask a, a couple of other things to wrap up here today thanks for taking time out of your your schedule to chat um so you were talking about before we started recording you've got some really exciting stuff coming up what what's uh what's coming up for you yes so i just um accepted an offer to be on the tour that's going to be for the spider uh the spider verse and it's with the broadway Sinfonietta. So we're going to be going like around the entire country from August to about late November. So if you're in town or, you know, you can look up the 
the like on Ticketmaster or something like that, the tickets will be available on the 19th of this month. So that's going to be really my cool. biggest next thing. You know, I've never been on tour before. So three months of just like, you know, rocking out, playing horn, watching Spider-Man. It's like it doesn't get any better than that. That sounds awesome. So it's a touring orchestra and then they show the the movie or the movies behind the orchestra, like like a lot of places. Yes. Do? Okay. It's like a like a projector behind us and then we're just kind of playing the the score to that um, you know, to the movie. That's really cool. And that's I mean, I I, I think that's maybe not that one thing is the future, but that kind of stuff is I think gonna be really, really popular. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And- and I feel like I'm, I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity again if I wasn't doing things that are also outside of the box. I mean, like mm-hmm. this is, in a sense, classical music. It, you know, it's, it's like your John Williams kind of stuff, but still, mm-hmm. it's just like just, just being in different realms, knowing different people. So, yeah, but I'm really excited about it. That's awesome. What Have you seen the book yet? What's it like? I haven't, but they did like it was kind of like an audition thing. So they sent me two passages, okay. and I know a few of the players that have played in it. Um, when it actually when it first started, because you know they were based in New York, New Jersey kind of areas, and they did mm-hmm. like, a couple just shows, and it did so well that they decided to take it on tour. And um, really high horn parts, you know, <laughs> and the composer uh, really loved just you know just giving us the main lines. Those so wailing I, parts, I, yep. Yeah, the it's like yep. <laughs> just high bees all day, you know, like that kind of stuff. So, but I'm excited. I'm looking forward for the challenge too. That's cool. So, how are you getting in shape for that? Are you are you uh, doing anything particular to to get ready for that show? You know, so right now I'm playing on a Hoyer of 6802, and I've actually mm-hmm. been thinking about getting another horn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been thinking about looking at a Balu, like getting a, a new okay. Balu made for myself just because a friend of mine did, and she was really happy with the results. So thinking about doing that, but um, outside of just like equipment changes, you know, my harmonic series warm-ups. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I just realized with horn, flexibility is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going from the, the bottom of the horn, like literal the pedal notes and going across four to five octaves all the way up mm-hmm. and just being able to just do that. Ooh, like, I mean, like, you know, people in my apartment probably hate me sometimes, <laughs> but that'll be okay. Um, <laughs> that's cool that you can practice there. I know that's not always the case for people living in the city. You know, it's true. And I mean, but just I feel like I'm probably the noisiest person here, but <laughs> I'm not, you know, you can only practice horror for so long. So it's not like I'm doing it every day or mm-hmm. like at like obscene times of the night. Like, you know, so I do try to be considerate of my neighbors, but I'm like, listen, you're going to have to listen to this harmonic series warm up because <laughs> I got stuff to do. OK, <laughs> <laughs> well, they're going to get a preview of the Spider-Verse show. So see. Exactly. So I'm like, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Shanice, thanks again. This has been an awesome conversation and and good luck with everything. And, uh, you know, best of luck. Yes. Thank you so much for having me.